you don't know who I am. I'm no, no, we know who you are. But, you know, he's more into your work. No, no, no. You made it very base. clear. I get it. <laughs> he's got the Patreon subscription. I don't. God damn it. <laughs> I don't have it. How's that not a thing? I feel like I've heard it somewhere. But Shut up. Where. You have not? I thought of that. That was an original idea. Yeah, <laughs> Don't steal this from me. Look at this is my I'm greatest moment. It. I'm not taking it. Cannot play with it. Cannot win with it. Cannot cope with it. Can't do it. You play with the game. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. Now locked in to the Clock Dodgers podcast. Clock Dodgers podcast. Welcome to the Clock Dodgers podcast. I'm your host Neil. I got the gang with me, Adam and Josh. What up? Hey, hey. what's up, Neil? We also have a special guest with us, fresh off of Josh's show and tell recommendation. Actually, last episode, we have Peter Howard on the Clock Dodgers podcast today. Welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, going man. well, man. We're all good. Good. We're all good. Um, Happy to be here, man. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. For those who may not know, for whatever reason, and for those who do anyway, um, you contribute at a bunch of different places, uh, DLF, Red Wonder World, Dino, Dino Crossroads. Um, what are you, is, is, uh, is there anything specific that people should be checking for at each of those so they know ahead of time? Now, I like, to, I like to give everybody a really good reference of like where to check your stuff after the fact, so we'll shout your places out at the end again, but like, is there anything specific, like a weekly basis that they should be checking for at each of these? Now, um, I do a weekly column for Dynasty League Football on Target Share and Snapshare to see who's getting more work or less work than we might expect. And I do the weekly projections for playerprofiler.com. Okay. I guess those are the two. Okay, cool. And then the podcast, I know you frequent a lot of different places, but... Yeah, I, I've got a podcast I run with Jake Anderson at Jake Anderson FF. It's called Dynasty Crossroads. You can check us out on Twitter at Dino Crossroads or, you know, whatever your podcast app is, we're under Dynasty Crossroads. So appreciate if anyone could check me out there, I guess. Awesome. And then I know, like I said, we you were brought up last week on the show. We did this uh, segment at the end called Show and Tell where we, you know, we talk about it could be anything, literally just advice. It could be a podcast. It could be a book and a product, anything. And Josh mentioned how you have the uh, the Patreon page. And so, you know, he mentioned it last week right. and told people, you know, they should check it out. For those who aren't aware or if Josh's uh, sell wasn't enough, what is it that people find at the Patreon page that they should check it out for? I don't know, man. I really appreciate Josh saying that. Um, <clears throat> I just try and put out some things that people might find useful that I'm already researching. I put out... The target share and snap share and snap percentage data that I track for, to write that article. I update people on things that I'm finding when I'm doing projections. I try and keep it mostly free. The main thing I I mostly do is actually off-season stuff. Like I have a uh, an 18-year history of NFL prospects at every position and what they did in college, and I track their market share data and stuff like that. But that's all like a prospect evaluation. So, and most of it's free. I will say it's a Patreon page. Some people are supporting me, but I try and put everything out for free because, you know, I just like talking about football and um, trying to win my league. So I'm just trying to help uh, everyone else do that as well. So it's not like a pay-per-view type thing. Right. Now, that makes sense. That's pretty cool that you do it that way. And like I said, Josh highly recommends it. Josh, you know, he dibbles and dabbles in a lot of different places. So I always trust his recommendations because he's, you know, checked out a lot of different, you know, sites and subscriptions and this and that. So 
we trust his uh, his recommendation. Um, we do want to um, right. get into some of the stuff. We you know we we have this when we have guests on, we try to get into some guest specific um, questions or things that you know whether it's on stuff that they work on themselves, whether it's a, a take they had. You know, we try to jump into a little bit of, of personal stuff. Um, so I want to do that first with you before we get into the, just the general stuff that we always talk about. Um, so let's get personal with you. I'll let Josh start with this because Josh, like I said, obviously has a better idea of some of the stuff that um, he really wants to talk about. So we'll let Josh take from here on some of the. Yeah, specifics. I get it. I get it. You don't know who I am. I'm no, we one. know you are. But, you know, he's more into your work <laughs> no, no, as far no, as subscription base. Clear. I get it. <laughs> he's got the Patreon subscription. I don't. God damn it. <laughs> I don't have it. I didn't take his recommendation yet, but maybe after this. <laughs> so go ahead, Josh. Okay. Okay. So um, really one of Peter's big off-season projects, at least the way I, I think of it, was the, the breakout similarity score, which was this metric you created, Peter, where you compared past wide receiver breakouts to uh, you know players that we have now and found players that were most similar to wide receivers that have actually broken out in the season before they did that. Is that all accurate? Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, the breakout similarity score is called that just so I could call it the BS metric, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> just just throw that out. Um, and just, you know, to headline it with, you know, to to lead with the lead, it mostly busted out. Like a similarity score is fairly easy to do, and I was able to create that looking across the most predictive and interesting metrics of what players did just before they broke out. But I wasn't able to get it like a the off season ended before I was able to get it somewhere where I was happy. Like I wanted it to be a timer because we've got lots of things that profile who's more likely or less likely to do well in the NFL. But if you notice, mostly it's like who's going to have a top 24 season within their first three years or who's going to be the best running back or the best wide receiver on this class eventually. But someone asked me, I was doing Twitch streams this off season because the off seasons where we play and have fun. And I thought I'd try something new. And someone asked me on there, if there's something that helps time it, like do we know that Corey Davis is going to break out this year and not next year? You know, that, that three year window is kind of tedious for most people to wait for, I guess. And, and so I was trying to find something that would like give you an edge on finding out whether a player is going to break out this year, not eventually, um, which is fairly risky because if you do eventually, then, you know, by the time they don't break out, everyone forgets. But if you say, <laughs> but if you say they're going to break out this year and then they don't, everyone is going to remember. Um, and I wasn't able to find something that came out with a good R squared value or, you know, some kind of nerdy bullshit um, that suggests that it was accurate. But in my research, I did find out a lot more about breakouts at different positions, and I put that out on the Patreon. I also ended up running across something, um, what's his name, uh, Blair Andrews, I think, for Rotoviz. Um, and he's found that positive efficiency in expected points is a fairly good predictor of more volume the following year for players in their first year. Um, and we know that most positions break out within year one to three. Most players at most positions break out in those years. There are always those exceptions, which is what made the breakout similarity score difficult. Anyway, um, if you look at efficiency, efficiency is one of these difficult things where efficiency tells you how well that they did with the, with the opportunity they got. Were they producing above average or below average? And the thing about it is that efficiency is really... Um, unsticky. It's not predictive year to year, 
But what Blair found is if that a rookie is very efficient in this first year, it normally leads to volume in the second year, and volume's really what we're chasing. Um, and that was true for all three positions. So what I ended up doing is putting out the breakout similarity score as it exists right now without really a good, you know, this works. It's not, it, it, I can't really say it works right now, but um, I did marry it to expected points from Rotoviz's model and came up with a what I think is a fairly good list of players to be interested in. And I just realized you're probably going to ask me about those players, so I'm going to go look up that article. <laughs> well, uh, so these the, these rookies that we've got coming in hot, you know, McLaurin, Metcalf, what, what do you see in them that relates to that that breakout similarity all right um well the thing about the breakout similarity scores i was specifically looking at people that had nfl data rookies you really have nothing to predict a rookie that's going to do well in this first year outside of looking at the depth chart the landing opportunity um uh, someone like Sterling Shepard, someone who stayed in college for a little longer, they might have a slight edge because they are more rounded as a player. They just have more experience. So older players might have be more likely to have a bigger impact early. And I think that's some of what we're seeing in the 2019 class. I've typically been down on this class. I think it was overhyped, especially at the wide receiver position. So, uh, yeah, I'm, they're kind of owning me right now. <laughs> Tell the truth. So do, are you believing in the production that we've seen from like McLaurin and, or like John Ross might be a guy who fits a little bit more with. John, John Ross is definitely not someone I've believed in. Most of his rookie arguments were he played a multifaceted role. Like he played running back and cornerback for his college team. And so it showed that he was a very skilled NFL or very skilled football player. And that would translate that doesn't really show up well in production because he was actually underproductive as a wide receiver. So I was typically low on him. And, you know, the fact he always gets injured didn't help. Um, so I don't – I'm like you have to believe NFL production over anything they do in college. That's just the truth. But it's one game. AJ Green's coming back and Tyler Boyd's clearly the one in targets, in my opinion. So I would um, sell on any value jump we get on John Ross, but I wouldn't sell cheaply because he did do really well in that one game. Right. Um, same with this 2019 class there, like DK Metcalf. I now kind of push aside all the concerns I had because he played, he was injured a bit, and he also played behind J.J. Brown um, uh, a lot. And so we had concerns about whether he was as good as some of his numbers suggested. I think we can just forget that now and put D.K. Metcalf into the this guy's going to be good in the NFL category. And Marcus Brown, on the other hand, I'm still not sure. Like he did, he's getting a lot of opportunity early, and I think opportunity is a talent metric. Like if you earn targets, that's because you're good, not because you know there's no one else to throw to. So that's good for him. But he was still remarkably underproductive as a rookie, and the tight end there is leading the position um, in targets and opportunity. Mark Andrews really seems to be the target in the offense, um, and you know week two with just a two-week sample size, we did see his production drop drastically. So he might be more of what we thought he was as a rookie, a very boom or bust and player who's not going to be focused on by an offense, um, if that answers some questions. Sorry, I realize yeah. I'm just going off for five minutes every time you ask a simple question. No, that, I think that's, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> um, right. So, okay, another – I comment that i heard you make one time and i was wondering if you could just sort of expand on this because you have some 
interesting ideas about wide receiver production and uh, how they sort of own their own production, bring targets with them, et cetera. What, what do you think about when wide receivers help each other? And so like Diggs and Thielen, you know, for example, if, if Diggs would have actually been traded to Washington, right. Does that help Thielen? Is that, Go ahead. I get what you mean. Yeah, we're talking about uh, what is it? Um, vacated targets and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I did a podcast episode of my rough feelings around this. Like mostly, look, uh, no one idea explains all of it. There's so much going on on an NFL team that if some of this just doesn't sound realistic, it's because it's not. It's because we're trying to get you know ninety percent of what happens down to uh, a single idea so we can reapply it over and over again and you know beat the average so that we win our fantasy leagues if that makes sense but as a whole if i was to describe it just in one idea which i did on that podcast it's targets aren't vacated they're earned so if a player leaves those targets don't exist anymore the player takes him with them so if Diggs was to leave it doesn't mean that um i know who's the three on that offense now like bb maybe yeah. Chad Beebe. Like, it doesn't mean Beebe is going to get 100 extra targets because Chad Beebe is nowhere near the player Stefan Diggs is. Does it help Adam Thielen? I don't necessarily think so because Adam Thielen's already been earning wide receiver one volume and been doing really well on it. And Minnesota is a really interesting case right now because they're literally not throwing the ball. So that's frustrating. But, um, like, I don't know. I think your your instinct is right there that it more, does more to hurt each other's ceilings than help someone further down the depth chart, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. if we look at Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry in college, both did really well. Both looked like productive players in college that should hit in the NFL. But you'd expect Odell Beckham's market share to be, like, off the charts, right? Because he's such a good player in the NFL. But it was kind of just good and i kind of suspect that that's because jarvis landry was there as well and he was a really good nfl player and so i think it does more to like dampen their ceilings when they're sharing target share like that and um, but it doesn't limit their flaws if that makes sense and also if they leave yeah they take the targets with them that's my general idea so do you feel similar right. with like a b and josh gordon in that situation um AB and Josh Gordon, where and the Patriots. Oh, oh you mean the thing about the Patriots is the Patriots are going to Patriots, so you know <laughs> it's all a little difficult. But yeah, I do think um, that they limit each other's ceilings yeah. very much. So um, I think AB is going to take the lead role there as long as he's allowed to play at least, um, and Josh Gordon's going to be the one that's hurt the most, if that makes sense. But um, like I think they can both still be incredibly good players this year because the Patriots can pretty much have their way with this league, right? Every every year, every time. But um yeah, I, I think it would be more it would be more difficult for either to become the wide receiver one and yet both have um, more solid flaws because um the other aspect of that is like Diggs and Thielen, I do think they help each other out a little bit, right? If you've got like more offensive production is good. If Diggs creates a first down by catching a good pass that few players would catch, that's good for Thielen because they keep the ball. Right. And same with AB and Josh Gordon. Like they help each other out in that way. The more gotcha. good players, the more plays, the more passing attempts, and that's good for everyone overall. But it does do perhaps a little bit to dampen their ceilings. Yeah, it seems to me like there's different kinds of relationships. Like Fuller, yeah, I think, exactly. definitely helps Hopkins. I think Tyreek oh. maybe helps Watkins. But like, so when Antonio Brown 
um, left the Raiders, I really thought that that was going to hurt Tyrell. But that doesn't seem to be true. Right. Well, the thing people forget about Tyrell is that he's really good. Like, he's not <laughs> Antonio Brown good. Don't get me wrong. But he's he's been a really good player in the NFL. Every opportunity he's earned, he's done well on. It's really frustrating to see a like an undrafted player like Tyrell become a top 24 wide receiver and then watch his team just discount that, which is what happened with him. I really thought the Chargers were going to lean in when they gave him like a, a second round tender, but eventually they just let him fade out. But Tyrell's really good. And so I think that's the difference. If Antonio Brown left and it was just, you know, Hunter Renfro on the team, I think that hurts Hunter Renfro. But Tyrell can do a little more than the average player, if that makes sense. Like, um, and so I think that uh, I think I think AB could have helped Tyrell, but I don't think it hurts him so badly. He's not going to be a good fantasy player. And you're right to talk about it situation by situation. I mean, you mentioned Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs, and like again, ninety percent of what's true is what I think. The stuff I just said is. But when you look at Mahomes, I think the truth there is Mahomes is like, he's kind of like a honey badger, right? The honey badger don't care. And Mahomes doesn't care if you're, you're Robinson, you're Watkins, if you're Tyra, uh, Tyree Kill. He's just going to throw 300, 400 yards and three touchdowns to whoever. Like Patrick Mahomes don't care. So, like, um, I, I don't think Tyree. I think that might be a very specific situation where the team and the quarterback is just so good. Like Hill leaving doesn't really help or hurt Watkins. It, if anything, it might help Watkins a little bit because sometimes more often he might be the guy over Tyreek, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it makes sense to me. Just, just, just situation by situation. Context yeah. matters. But on the whole, when reading a situation, I do think I have found it more accurate to think in terms of targets being earned than given, right? With running yeah. back touches, they're much more given. And I'm not saying that entirely describes it, but when I break down situations, if I think of targets as earned and rushing attempts as given, then it seems to get me 90% of the way there more often. <laughs> that makes sense. Like yeah, I, get, I, think it I get more accurate results that way. Okay, so the, the third thing I want to talk to you about was your weekly DLF article on usage. And yeah. so um, I was just wondering, is there like a kind of a, a hold your nose? You, this guy might not be great, but he's getting just used so much player that people should be aware of? Not yet um, that I can remember. Um, let me just pull that one up. Let's see. Um, we're so early on in the season where everything's... Uh, and what I was actually going to look at for that article this week is how often or how widely target shares shift. Like, I don't know how you guys are feeling about it, but it feels like everyone's getting a 30% target share right now. You know what I mean? Like Chris Godwin, yeah. Mike Evans, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, like everyone's getting this huge volume, even in small passing games like Minnesota. And I wanted to go back and look. And I haven't gotten to do the research for that article this week yet. But I think um, that's fairly typical early on. Like we were saying about Marquise Brown or like um, week one, some year, like Ted Gim was looking like a stud, right? He was getting 30% market share and scoring, you know, a projected out 7,000 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, and I think we see a hard shift as the weeks go by. And I think week three and four is really when it's going to start to tell. I don't know yet, because I haven't done the research, if 2019 is unusual. 
in the number of people getting over 20% of targets. But I'm pretty sure this happens early in the season most years. And I think it's about to change gears on us. Um, and in terms of players that got a lot of usage um, right now, like <clears throat> none come to mind. Um, we mostly are aware of him. I would say, and it proved true in week two, that like Corey Davis, um, he's actually the one in that offense, as nasty as it might be to think about. Um, like AJ Brown just isn't playing the snaps. Um, and despite being the better player uh, production-wise in week uh, one, uh, in week two, the snaps told the real story. Um, and what you saw is um, Corey Davis get more targets and AJ Brown actually fades significantly in snaps. And as a rookie, we should probably accept that. But I can't say, like, hold your nose and start Corey Davis. If anything, I'd say... Unfortunately, sit Corey Davis until we see something more because Delaney Walker's just kind of walking away with target share on that team. What do you make of the uh, the Cardinals and their distribution of targets? And yeah, um, like last week, I might have said, uh, sorry, hang on, uh, might have said uh, Keyshawn Johnson is someone we should add because I really like Keyshawn Johnson as a rookie prospect, you know, relative to, um, you know, where you had to take him, you know, third, fourth round in rookie dress. But um, and he got 10 targets. And I think it was under notice that like Arizona had three players or two players with 10 targets or more. Both of them did badly. So, like, Christian Kirk was a clear start in DFS for me this week. And um, and Keyshawn Johnson is someone that I wanted to add in more leagues. But this week, um, Demir Bird took over that role from Keyshawn Johnson. And so I think that wide receiver three target in Arizona might um, continue to move around on us a little bit. Well, again, that's just the way it looks through two weeks. But I think um, Larry Fitz and uh, Christian Kirk are definite starts every week and um, with incredible high usage, uh, and I think that's going to continue. But Keyshawn Johnson, um, Demir Bird, and we might even see some Andy Isabella action at some point as well if he can get on the field. So I think that third wide receiver might continue to switch out. Um, I would say, just in case, I don't think anyone is, but just in case anyone was holding out for the tight ends in this offense, like Charles K is probably going to catch a touchdown or two now and again, but this is a wide receiver-centric offense. Like, uh, the, like the tight ends are just continue to be dead in Arizona, put it that way. I'll be honest, I totally added Max Williams in a dynasty league. I did too. Yeah, I was like, you know, maybe <laughs> it's year four for him, and I added him a few places. But like, uh, and that's why I'm saying it. I'm like, I'm pretty happy to cut him now. <laughs> These guys are yeah. gonna keep. It's the wide receivers okay. or, and David Johnson. You know, um, good to know. Like, don't cut him for nothing, but don't keep him for anything. You know. <laughs> yeah. I may or may not have had Charles Clay on a team or two also. but uh, Right. And uh, Charles Clay is like this really good NFL player. Sometimes <laughs> it's just too tempting not, yeah. to, not to roster him when you're weak at tight end. But, you know, everyone, tight end position is a tight end position. You know, you're just hoping for that touchdown outside yeah. of, you know, the big names. For sure. Peter, actually, in regards to the Cardinals offense, one thing I've been curious about and uh, I'm interested to hear your take is, as the season wears on, do you see Kyler Murray spreading out targets more to the outside wide receivers as he becomes more comfortable? That's one thing that I've been curious about because we're seeing such a – I mean, obviously they're throwing the ball an insane amount, but we're seeing a really high concentration of targets to both Larry Fitzgerald and uh, uh, Christian Kirk playing out of the slot. 
But I'm curious as the season wears on and as Kyler gets more comfortable, if they're going to start working more towards the outside and working in more, you know, big plays. Right. Um, Interestingly, I think they are getting work on the outside, even though we think of both of those guys as inside players. I think they're switching it in and out to get that high target share. Um, I don't think so. I think this offense is definitely showing us a tendency to throw a lot um, and throw often um, and shorter passes rather than longer passes. I'm not someone that does a lot of college uh, football, but I have heard a lot about the uh, Cliff Kingsbury offense, and that certainly seems to fit the narrative that you throw it short more often than not. Like Larry Fitzgerald has like a 11.4 A dot right now. Christian Kirk is like 10.2. Um, and then Demir Bird um, is getting that 7.6 target uh, A dot from last week. Um, it might be a matter of if they go along, they're going to start using Keyshawn Johnson. And if they're going short, Demir Bird gets a call. And that's where the wide receiver three flipped in week mm-hmm. two um, because they have very dissimilar A dots. Like Keyshawn Johnson is very clearly being used further down the field. Um, than uh, Demir Bird was last week. So there might be something in that. But again, it's really hard to, with two weeks, the the problem with all predictive, uh, or predicting uh, the NFL any old way is that by the time we know for sure, it's too late. Everyone already knows, right? Um, but try to see into the future. That's what I'd say. I'd say stick with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. They're going to get some outside work. Maybe in a flex play uh, Keyshawn uh, Johnson sometimes. He's got high upside with that higher A dot. But um, yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to see the, this fast, shorter, and high volume passing game. For sure. Um, it's funny because everything we're saying like, right uh, now. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was no, just no, thinking like Juju Smith Schuster has a similar A dot to Larry Fitzgerald, and he's being used a lot more on the outside, right? So, like, I don't know. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, no, I was just saying that everything we're saying, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we all have, we have to keep saying, you know, it's only second week, it's only going into the third week, and it right. kind of sucks that we had to do that. But it's like, also at the same time, you know, we've seen a lot of people causing fuss on Twitter and stuff, like, hey, you guys are taking victory laps too early, um, you know, everyone's getting excited about, you know, things that they have projected to be right or whatnot. Um, I did, we did think it would be right. fun to kind of take some victory laps, premature victory laps here. Um, I, you know, I, know I we, think you really should. Yeah. Like I've got a very strong stance on this on Twitter. It's that everything in the NFL is temporary. I mean, enjoy it while you can. Um, I, like I do the same thing. Like you've got to say it's only two weeks. You've got to cover yourself, man, because you know, the trolls be vicious. <laughs> and if you don't give yourself the out, then they will come after you. Yeah. Be, uh, so you got to give yourself the out. But you really should enjoy it as it goes because none of it's going to last very long. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, I agree I'm, with you. I'm here for it. Let's take some victory. Yeah, laps, let's man. do it right now, then, guys. And and to be to be clear, guys, we must say that this is the only place you could be premature. I don't want you guys having any issues <laughs> in your relationships or anything. Don't don't bring that out here. Get that shit straight. Um, don't damage Adam. your relationships. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Adam, I'll let you start. Uh, take a victory lap first, man. We'll let the trolls get after you first. So uh, go ahead and, and take some victory lap. You guys can take as many as you want because I'm all for this. So you guys can do one if you want. You can do three. I really don't care. Adam. I mean, I'll just stick to one and I'll go with the one that like glides so cleanly into what we were just talking about, which is that I was all over Larry Fitzgerald coming into this year. Uh, he was my most owned best ball target. I felt like he was being severely underdrafted, both based on his historic Hall of Fame profile and his <laughs> expected usage in this air raid offense. And so far through two weeks, it's just been like 
blatantly obvious to me that he's going to be exactly what I predicted him to be coming into this year, which is another year of being a top 12 PPR wide receiver. He currently sits at wide receiver 12 through two weeks. But the things that really have blown me away is his usage and how he's being used. Um, I mean, through two weeks, he's seen 24 targets. He's had back-to-back 100-yard games. He's top 10 in air yards. And he's leading the league right now in targets inside the 10-yard line. And all of those things just add up to be a fantastic player for fantasy. And I think that the most exciting thing is that that offense is really, like, just in its infancy. And as the year rolls on, Kyler Murray is going to get more comfortable in that offense. And I think that the the upside is still there. And he's already hitting what I had expected for him. So I just I can't wait to see what the rest of the season holds. I think that it's going to be a historic year for him. Yeah, I, I have no problem admitting that I was one of the people who said, this guy has got to be too old at this point. It has to happen at some point. <laughs> at some point, it has to happen. And damn, if he's not proving me wrong again. Like, it's geez. just always a good idea to buy Larry Fitzgerald for yeah. the round pick. It just is. <laughs> it will be. It's, it's going to be like Frank Gore and Larry Fitzgerald on the very last NFL team. Let's just admit that. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> So I'll, I'll take mine. I was. It, this is more of. A, it's very premature. It's almost like a relief lap. I, I was so happy <laughs> to see Rashad Penny get some work this week. <laughs> that week one was was not not okay with Chris Carson taking all of it, and the just. I know he didn't blow up or anything, but I, the victory is coming for Rashad Penny. <laughs> That's fair, man. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I'll, I'll take mine too. Then, really quick, we'll let our our special guest go last. You guys are so fucking rude. Um, <laughs> and I'm might as well just jump in on that too. Um, I'm actually gonna go with my Raiders in general. Like Darren Waller, I was calling forever. Tyrell Williams, I was trading Sammy Watkins for him at one point or another. So I'm just glad to see those two guys have success, even without AB there. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing at this point, how that played out. But um, I'm happy how they how, how they've done so far. And I will say to Josh. And I don't care who likes PFF or not, but I did see a stat from PFF that after two weeks, Jacobs is their highest graded first round pick with an overall grade of 89.8. Again, I don't know how you guys feel about PFF, but also he's not only the highest graded rookie, but he's also the site's highest graded running back through two weeks. So take that shit, Josh. (laughs) Take that. All right, Peter. Take your victory lap, Peter. Do I have to? You have like, to. Uh, I got so much right, it's hard to decide. <laughs> um, no, like, I, I've been using my timeline mostly to give everyone else the opportunity to victory lap because everyone's so against it. Like Everyone's like, ah, oh, it's too early, and you know, you just wait and see, and this guy's going to eat his lunch. So like, I like having a place where people can just come and tell me they're wrong. Like Marcus <laughs> Brown, seriously, I mean, let's say I do – have some reservations still, but I seriously think people should take a victory lap on that. Terry McClellan is just Terry McClellan or whatever his name is is seriously owning me. Like he's the most underproductive player at school. Like, like it was insane. Um, and yet here he is earning like a twenty percent of the team's targets on a weak jet chart, but like with a million a dot or something like that, and put on numbers. Like I think those guys really deserve to stand on a hill. Not to rewrite the likelihood that a player like that actually breaks out. Like I'm very against that, but I think those guys earn some victory laps. I guess. 
Like I was just looking at that breakout thing that I did for DLF, and like all of these guys are hitting right now. Like I, I killed this shit. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm strongly trying to avoid, you know, being the smug guy because I come off a smug naturally anyway. But like I'm going to take an, a more unusual one. Like everyone now owning me from McLaurin, a similar type of group telling me that DJ Moore couldn't be a wide receiver one um, last year. And uh, yeah, how's that feeling right now? Like he's clearly the wide receiver one on the offense through two weeks. He's given you what, two top 12 weeks? Our wide receiver performances, even with Christian McCaffrey on the team and Cam Newton, you know, doing Cam Newton like things. And DJ Moore's got a 28% target share. He's good. He's really good. And Nikhil Harry's going to be good too, because he is as soon as he gets <laughs> on the field. So uh, an early and an unusual victory lap for you there. That's what I got. <laughs> I love it. Didn't that feel good to get off our chest, guys? Felt good yes. to get those victory laps. Maybe we'll do one every week. Who knows? Uh, that was fun. All right. Um, yeah, let's, let's go ahead. We'll jump into some of our regular segments that we do here, Peter. Um, the first one that we do is trust issues, um, where I'm going to throw out names of players and you can let us know. Everyone can jump in on this, of course. And you can either just say whether you trust them or you have trust issues, or you can get really in depth on why that is. It's totally up to you guys. Um, the first player that I'm throwing out there, and I'll let I will let Peter start because we made him go last before. Uh, the first player I don't like them, going first. Uh, I want to hear your answers, okay. and then I can copy them like uh, a, like a test. No, what was the question? <laughs> Who have I got first, trust issues with right now? Yeah, the first player we're going to talk about is Mike Evans. Trust or you have trust issues? Um, I got such a complicated relationship with Mike Evans. Like I spent years talking about how he's not as good as everyone thinks he is. He's been strongly overdrafted in dynasty to like godlike status and yet given you one season that actually paid off um, and stuff like that. But uh, the fact he's been the target hog on Tampa Bay Buccaneers really can't be denied. And so like it's getting close to flipping. So at this point I'm saying trust like Chris Godwin's like a, a much more efficient player. I love Chris Godwin, but now the market has shifted to believing that Chris Godwin's going to be, you know, the only fantasy relevant wide receiver, I guess, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I would continue to trust in Mike Evans because um, I think he's still going to put up pretty decent numbers for us this year. Right. Eventually. Yeah, and he made his way to this list, too, because I've seen Josh debating on Twitter, going hard in the paint. That, uh... So, right. <laughs> Have we ever seen a wide receiver go from being like a 30% guy to a 22% guy? I, I can't think of another one. Yes, I did. Um, just go listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like I, I did an episode, not like I did three episodes where I was tracking down these myths. And what I did is I went back and looked at when a wide receiver stopped being the wide receiver one in his offense and started being a wide receiver two. Oh, yeah, that was the Jerry Porter thing. Yeah, right? he, Everyone remember Jerry Porter. His name was Jerry Porter, and we all need to remember this poor, poor, cursed man who, like, <laughs> was bracketed by the most historical wide receivers you've ever heard of in your life. And he got one season in the middle where he got to be good, and then that was it. Um, God, poor Jerry Porter. But yeah, um, so it has happened, but I found about 11 instances um, outside of like Roddy White, Julio Jones type instances. Because, you know, Chris Godwin and um, Mike Evans didn't really fit that for me. Like, uh, Mike Evans isn't in the twilight of his career by any means, for example. Um, and, you know, uh, Chris Godwin wasn't drafted 
higher than Mike Evans to replace him. I don't think that was the goal when he was drafted. Um, he was meant to come in and, if, if anything, fill out a more secondary role. So um, I, I did find a number of instances and I ran through them all. It's really unusual, but it does happen. Uh, it, it was my overall conclusion. Like I can't remember any of the other names now. <laughs> so, I mean, what does that tell us about him, though? In my, my take was that he is a guy who maybe can can shoulder a load if a team doesn't have really an adequate wide receiver core, but he's better as a big-bodied Marvin Jones role player. Yeah, maybe. Um, like I say, and this is where that 90% fits in. My, my idea is that Mike Evans was getting all those targets not because there was no one else but because he was earning them. And he produced a lot, but it was remarkably inefficient. And again, efficiency is how well you do with those touches. So my argument was always he's not as good as his target share kind of suggests. But now, again, now everyone's thinking that. Then I go the other way because I'm an asshole, basically. <laughs> um, and I do have to pay a little um, you know, head nod to the fact that he was able to earn those targets. So I think... The thing to remember is that we we want to bracket players into categories like, who is this guy? Oh, he's this guy. All right, now I know what to do with him. And when, in fact, they're all unicorns, like any player who breaks out in the NFL is a unicorn because like there's one league and everyone's trying to play in it and it's the highest level around. So everyone who even plays in the NFL is already like really rare. To break out in that group, you have to be unique in some way. And so while we could, and I think, you know, a heavy use Marvin Jones isn't a bad categorization of Mike Evans. I think the truth is that he's, he's we can't. We can't bracket a player like that. Um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't fit neatly either. We just don't care because he keeps putting up numbers. But like DeAndre Hopkins is incredibly inefficient. And we blame that on his QB play, but that's honestly not where those efficiency metrics come from. Like, he struggles with efficiency and yet continues to earn a high volume. Like, and Will Fuller's really good, but those, that one year that Will Fuller came in and caught 10 touchdowns, no one was thinking that DeAndre Hopkins isn't good anymore, right? Because right? right. you'd be, you know, insane to think something like that. So I think uh, part of the trick is high volume, it's harder to be efficient. And I think Mike Evans was just good enough or so much better than everyone else on his team that he was earning beyond what his skills could actually account for so like last year with deandre hopkins and adam even adam humphreys and um chris godwin on the team mike evans target share actually already dropped it dropped last year and he still put up well his second best year actually was last year so his target share dropped and he actually became more efficient and so I think you're right to think that he needs a lower volume, but I still think that, you know, in this Chris Godwin versus Mike Evans thing that's going on right now, it can still work out that Mike Evans is a one, just not the way he was before Chris Godwin was on the team, if that makes sense. Right. Even though Chris Godwin is clearly amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I actually trust him so, you know, more when sorry. you when you think about his you know, his perceived value going down a little bit, like if he's going to take a hit for that, it's even better for us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's exactly why I'm starting to lean. And it's really uncomfortable for me. Like, I don't want Mike Evans on my rosters because I spent so long not wanting Mike Evans on my <laughs> roster. Right, right. But if his value comes down to where it is right, you know, you, what's the saying by Matt Kelly? I don't help, hate players. I hate ADPs. Yeah. So if his cost reflects what you're getting from him, then suddenly I'm in. And if it drops below that, then I'm really in, right? right. And if Chris Godwin continues to cut um, 
Mike Evans this way, you could be looking at a place where like a player and a first would get you Mike Evans, and that'd be really neat. Yeah, it would. So you trust him. Josh doesn't trust him from how it sounds. Adam, were you going to split this? How do you how do you feel about it, man? I mean, I still have trust. I think yeah. it's a little bit of an overreaction after two weeks to think that uh, Chris Godwin's going to continue to have this target share in this offense. I mean, it's it's definitely possible that it shifts more than what Mike Evans has seen in the past. Uh, like with Josh saying right. that in, in his past experience, he's been getting over 30% of the team targets. We have a change in offensive coordinator. We have Chris Godwin coming along as a wide receiver. It seems like there's potential that that could decrease. Now, that being said, though, O.J. Howard's not being used in this offense either. They're, they're having a lot of issues with, I think, just being productive as an offense. So I think to say automatically over the course of two games where their offense probably hasn't been clicking in the ways that they want it to, that this is the ideal nature or the ideal state this offense plans to stay in throughout the year is definitely an overreaction. I think with Mike Evans, it's just going to basically come with volume like anything else. Uh, His targets went back up to eight targets last week. I think that they're going to stay pretty consistently around that eight target mark. Uh, I think in games where they're able to target him more efficiently and games where just all together they're they're more cohesive as an offense and you know James Winston's not turning the ball over like crazy they'll run into these positive game script situations that will help Mike Evans have those big games gotcha like wasn't OJ Howard one of the guys no it was Cameron Bright um he got two touchdowns taken back from penalties and stuff and like I think a lot of this this offense clearly has problems like Jameis Winston clearly is the guy we feared he was, not the guy we hoped he would be. Um, and, and we should have known that, to be fair, because he kept proving it. But um, like through two weeks, it usually is just a, a way to get out of jail free card. But I think with this offense, with those touchdowns that have been called back and the mad variance that's been going on, like um, I, I do think it's going to be more of what we expected we're just seeing the warts more than we're seeing the um, the benefit of it right now. But uh, don't forget the warts when it rounds back out. When uh, when Cameron Brait or OJ Howard start catching touchdowns and Mike Evans catches his touchdowns, they just don't forget. Don't flip. Be like, oh no, all those problems went away. They didn't go away. We're just we're just seeing the problems right, right. now. Right. And and so don't forget them. But it it should it should flip back around in a bigger sample size. Like Mike Evans going to catch some touchdowns. He's going to, like I say, I think be the lower target share guy. But he's always depended on getting ten touchdowns. When he does that, he's good. Um, and I think he has a higher chance to do it with Chris Godwin on the team. To be honest with you, um, the tight end position is just weird. I'm starting to wonder if there's more to the OJ Howard situation. Like he was really inefficient. He's really efficient on a small sample size, and so we thought he could be good. Um, I kept arguing that like he shouldn't be over Evan Ingram just because he promises to be good when Evan Ingram's already been good. Um, but like it, it was there. It was true. It's reminding me of Michael Floyd, and maybe it's just that Bruce Arians is involved. Um, but, like, does everyone remember how Michael Floyd looked good in every way except what he was doing on the football field? Yeah. And, like, everyone kept questioning Bruce Arians, like, why won't you use this guy? And he was like, I will when he does it right. And, like, that's kind of the same way he's sounding over uh, over O.J. Howard. So I'm starting to wonder if there's a little more going on, like O.J. Howard's having trouble getting back into shape or getting back into 
true football form. I don't know. I haven't heard anything like that. It's just that it reminds me of Michael Floyd a little bit. And the beautiful thing is we could always say, it's only week two. (laughs) So it could (laughs) be anything. Uh, All right. So Josh is the odd man out on on, on Mike Evans. So speaking of Josh, the other Josh, which we kind of mentioned a little earlier, was Josh Gordon. So are we trusting him? Do we have trust issues? And, you know, we discussed him at length last episode when AB, you know, we, when we talked about AB being there. And then obviously with this week, we have a situation where AB does score a touchdown. He doesn't like, you know, put up crazy numbers or anything, but he, he scores a touchdown. The Patriots put up a lot, but Gordon essentially did nothing. So how, how do we feel, guys? Um, trust or trust issues? Uh, Josh, you can start it. I, I trust Josh Gordon. I trust him to be the type of player you can put in at flex, and occasionally he's going to win you a week. I think I think that he is like a better version of uh, Deshaun Jackson. You know, who, who has put up these ridiculous seasons and still has the potential to do that. He just has more target competition than he had when he did that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, I can't not trust Josh Gordon. I've been so in on Josh Gordon that, and plus, you know, he's in the Patriots offense. It's hard to bail on anybody in the Patriots offense. They got so many good wide receivers, and we all say we trust all of them. Like it seems like, um, Peter, you trust Josh Gordon? Trust him to be what though? Like that—that that would be my question. Like I think Antonio Brown's going to be the the dominant outside and inside guy. Julian Edelman right now is leading the team in market share of targets, which surprises no one. Um, James White's still getting 17% um, and a lot less rushing, which is why he's not going to be a top 12, obviously. But, um, like, I trust Josh Gordon. Like, I'm really rooting for someone like Josh Gordon. I want him to keep just doing what he wants to do, being a good NFL player. And I think he's doing that. Um, But, like... I don't want him to be a regular start for me. Okay. If that helps. Um, but I'd be really happy if he's someone I can sub in when I need to. Like, he can go off any week because he seriously has that talent. Gotcha. So you, so you yeah, trust I him? I think for me, based on where he was being drafted, that would be considered a trust issue. Because by Fair the enough. time late August rolled around, people were drafting him like the fifth round. And if you're doing that, you're expecting him to start as a wide receiver, wide receiver two, wide receiver three for you. And... I mean, I'm kind of right along that same wavelength of, I just think that, I mean, I, I think this whole podcast wants Josh Gordon to be successful. I mean, we've been talking about it for years, but that being said, it's, it's a target issue. I mean, he's just not going to get the volume. He's seen four and five targets through the first two weeks. And Josh Gordon is an amazing downfield threat, but if Antonio Brown stays on the Patriots and is allowed to play, the shift in targets in that offense, they're just going to get carved up so much that there's just not going to be anything left for Josh Gordon. He's going to have one or two big plays a game, but as far as like a reliant, reliable fantasy asset, I think it's going to be the exact opposite. I don't think that he's going to be someone that I'd be comfortable starting almost ever just simply because he's not going to be getting the targets. I think that's a really good point, and it's like an asterisk I want to put on my target idea. Like There is a limit. If you put Jerry Rice and Jerry Porter, maybe, and Antonio Brown and the best wide receivers in the world on the same team, it's not like they're going to throw 100 times every game. 
so there is a ceiling um, to how many targets a player can earn. I just think normally it's exaggerated. But when you've got Julian Edelman, James White, well, maybe not James White, Julian Edelman, Antonio Brown, and Josh Gordon on the same field, I mean, it's not like they're the best trio, but it's hard to imagine a better one for any team right now. And so there is a ceiling. And you're right that he hears that they are probably bumping up against, especially when, you know, they've basically won every game by like middle of the second quarter right now. So (laughs) there's no need to keep throwing it out there. Um, So, yeah, I think that's fair. Well, to piggyback on that, this is the Patriots too, that we're talking about. Like it's easy to be dismissive of somebody like James White, but on this type of offense, they're going to target the running backs. Running backs are going to get targets in this offense. Furthermore, later on in the year, this offense is going to run the ball. We know that. You see that in the winter all the time from the Patriots. They'll turn it on. They're already doing it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they have the game script right now to do it. But even even though, like, they've had that phenomenal game strip through two weeks, that even if that shifts, they're that type of team that, you know, they're not going to get this insane amount of passing volume. So... To say that, you know, when once you divide up all these different options, that the sliver that Josh Gordon is going to be left with is going to be fantasy relevant. I mean, I don't know. I feel like if you're a Josh Gordon fan, you got to just hope that Antonio Brown's out of the league because <laughs> that's that's his best shot at targets at this point. Yeah. So it sounds like we have some trust issues on Josh Gordon for sure. Um, the next guy I want to throw out here is a running back. We won't spend too much time on him because if we don't trust him, that's good for Josh here. So uh, this guy is Chris Carson, who, you know, as Josh mentioned, Penny scored last week. Um, Carson didn't. And I think also an interesting stat is that he's also fumbled the ball three times in two weeks now. Um, so I don't know how much that plays into anything for you guys, if you fear he'll lose carries at all because of that or any kind of playing time because of that. But um, it's definitely, I think, relevant. Um, so, Josh, since you're Mr. Mr. Penny over there, uh, you have trust or trust issues with Chris Carson? I mean, he looked really good in week one. But I, I think that the, the draft capital that Penny has is going to just constantly be an incentive for that team to put him out there and see what see what he's got. And I think that he will play well. So, you know, if, if Seattle has the same kind of rush volume that they had last year, which so far they... They, they've been a little under. Uh, it, it's possible that both of these guys could be successful, but I have I have trust issues with Carson. I think he's it, it, it's just a matter of time. It feels like in the last ten years, I think one other one other seventh round drafted running back has repeated a season like what Chris Carson did last year, and that was a Maud Bradshaw. And no other, you know, we've seen other. Seventh round drafted running backs put up one season in that range, and then they come crashing back down. Is there anyone else right now in this podcast who loves Carson enough to really battle Josh about this? I mean, I wouldn't battle, but I don't think his <laughs> usage changed. Like, I think that everybody who loved what he did in week one, the only thing that he didn't do in week two was fall into the end zone twice. Mm-hmm. His usage was the same. He saw 15 attempts in both games. Yeah, he was targeted less, but overall his yardage was practically the same. I think that really it's kind of an overreaction. I think Chris Carson is exactly what we drafted him to be coming into the year, or what I guess I should say I drafted him. I think people were getting a little overhyped on him towards the end of the draft season. Yeah, they did. But he's one of those players that I think 
for most of the draft season, people thought was going to be splitting. And, you know, I don't think the Seahawks are going to be that insane rushing volume offense that they want to be. And I think because of that, because game script will not allow them to be that, this is all Chris Carson's ever going to be. He's going to be a, you know, 15 attempt kind of guy, you know, 15 to 20 touches a game. And unless game script moves in his favor, he's going to have games where he, you know, puts up 10 to 15 PPR points. And in games where he's able to fall into the end zone twice, you're going to love him. Mm-hmm. Peter, you trust him? I don't know, though. Saying this is all he's ever going to be, like, just a top 12 running back. <laughs> oh, dear. Like, and I, I, I just want to stand on the Chris Carson Hill just for a second, because I might have said some nasty things about him after Rashad Penny was drafted. Um, so, like, I want to defend him. Like, undrafted free agents are my, like, pet, my pet project. They're my, they're my favorite thing. They're my favorite thing in football. They really are. Um, it's like this target talent pool that gets 19% of top 24 wide receiver seasons that everyone just dismisses outright. Oh, he's undrafted. Forget it. So you like your fishing. It's like there are only 19% of the fish in the pond, but literally you've got no competition for finding them. So I kind of love undrafted free agents. Plus it's just a really cool story. And, but, and especially with my ideas and running back volume, this is a thing that I want to mention with Chris Carson, especially after a three fumble game. Like, I don't think the, the Seahawks are going to go away from him this week. But um, anyone who thinks the Seahawks are any better than any other franchise are kidding themselves, because I've heard that argument before. They will smell their own farts and go, you know what, I'm just better. I'm just better than everyone else, and the guy I drafted is better than everyone else. And they will lean draft capital. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the same reason Royce Freeman is a buy right now. It's the same reason that Justin Jackson is a buy right now. The guys in front of them are really good. But NFL coaches suck. I mean, they, they're just the worst kind of people. And eventually they'll go, you know what? The guy I handpicked, that's the guy. And three fumbles or a misstep or getting an injury. And eventually the trend suggests over the last 20 years or so, that they will turn towards their draft capital. So even though Chris Carson is a fantastic player, very clearly a great player, um, I still think the long arc of this is going to bend back around to Rashad Penny. And despite the 18 carries he got with like the third offensive line in the preseason looking so bad um, this offseason, Rashad Penny has done well, not great, but he's done well or great with every actual opportunity he's gotten on the field in the NFL. Like he hasn't been inefficient. He's done. He's gotten what he has to get. He's scored some touchdowns, some nice runs. Like he hasn't missed a beat. And so, while you not, might not think he's the wide running back prospect to end all running backs prospects, he was drafted in the first round. He's a very decent player. He's done nothing to change my opinion of that with what he's been given in the NFL. And coaches suck. I mean, they're just they're just the worst. Um, hopefully, you know, all the coaches that listen to your podcast will just not <laughs> go me on Twitter over that because, you know, it's, 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 it's a little hyperbole. But I, I think in the end, draft capital wins out, especially at running backs, because coaches suck. I think that's a better understanding of it because Chris Carson is a good player. Austin Eckler is a good player. But, you know, they get faded so often for crappy reasons that I'm, I'm buying those guys behind them, specifically in those situations. Even though this week, if I'm starting Chris Carson, Austin Eckler, um, and who else has got to go? Philip Lindsay? I, I'm feeling pretty good about my team, to be honest with you. 
in five weeks, I'm not so sure we'll feel as confident. Not because they're not good, though, but because coaches suck. Yeah, and they smell their own farts, which you don't agree with. Yeah, I'm trying to find a better funny way of saying that's that, but I haven't one. come I mean, across one. That's, that's, that's like, a, some reason it speaks to people that, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep using it. It works. It works. Like, no. All right. And the last ones I want to bring up, which, you know, obviously, you know, you can say it's only week two, but I want to just bring them up because there's a bunch of different variables with them. But it's the wide receiver duo in Minnesota, which is Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. Um, they're off to a rough start in comparison to what we've expected uh, and how they've been drafted, and Kirk Cousins hasn't looked good. Um, I will say that they are playing the Raiders this week, and the Raiders tend to make everybody look amazing. So this may be the week <laughs> that everything changes for these Fair two enough. gentlemen. Uh, but is, is anybody concerned with any part of these two, whether it's one or the other, whether it's just their quarterback sucks so bad so you feel bad about these two now? Is there any trust issues? from? I, most people trust them. Does any? Well, we won't even discuss them. Does anyone have trust issues with either one of these guys in their situation? No. Coaches suck. Coaches suck. <laughs> they smell too many farts. Like, we're doing really well. Our, our team's killing it. You know what? Let's fire the guy that's doing a good job, and let's never throw the ball again. <laughs> I mean, I have no problem trust issues with Adam Thielen and Stafford Diggs. I don't expect coaches to suddenly, you know, like what I was saying with the running back, suddenly not suck. Uh, and do good things for their players and their team. And I think they're just addicted to the run game right now. Um, and they've done everything through this offseason to tell us that. My hope was that Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are seriously good enough that it won't matter. They'll be efficient with their touches. And by the end of the season, both are probably going to have been good players to own, right? But their ceilings are muted just because coaches suck. And because the <laughs> passing attempts are going to be lower. It doesn't matter how badly this gets or how many games they lose. Um, and Dalvin Cook would be killing it either way, by the way. Like, they didn't create his, you know, field-length touchdown the last game right. by running it so much. That's just because Dalvin Cook is good. Yeah. And we would be able to say that confidently if they ran a little less in situations that you shouldn't run. And so their efficiency would show the hell up. But they won't. <laughs> so, like, I have trust issues. I, like... Starting Stefan Diggs right now, probably can't do it um, unless my team's really suffering. Adam Thielen, I have enough to trust. He's going to put up numbers every week. You know, d double digits are fine. He's clearly the one, so it hurts him a little less than Diggs. But unless something drastic happens where the coaches are actually going to throw the ball in throwing situations, then um, I think we're going to see more of the same. And it's really sad because these two are honestly some of the best players at the position um, in the league. For sure. I'm coming away. That's with, my rant. It, my my it, next rant. In this segment, what I'm getting is we should not trust coaches. We have trust issues with <laughs> right. every coach. That is the right. big deal here. All right. Let's move over to rank them. We have three groups of guys to rank. Uh, different sets of guys for different reasons. Um, so what we're going to do is here, we're, I'm, I'm going to name three guys, and then we'll all we can, whoever wants to jump in can rank them how they want to rank them. Um, the first group, uh, I'll let Adam start with this one. It's the Chiefs wide receivers, just for week three. Um, so Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, and Hardman. Um, how do you rank those three guys, Adam? Just for I week think three. I think in the exact order that you gave them. Okay. Uh, I think Watkins still definitely has to be at the front of the pack. I mean, even with his limited production last week, he saw twice the amount of targets that Robinson and Hardman saw. He still is the target hog in that offense while Tyreek Hill is out. And I think that 
moving forward between Robinson and Hardman, it really just comes down to share of snaps. I mean, Robinson's on the field more um, with that in mind. He more likely than not will in the end see more targets. Um, They both had six targets last week. Robinson had the bigger plays, obviously, um, but they both had phenomenal weeks. I mean, everybody in this offense is going to be a potential threat. It's just going to be who Patrick Mahomes is able to target based on, you know, how the defense is giving it to him. Um, but that being said, from a fantasy perspective, I think you still have to just stick with the volume. So Watkins way in front, Robinson and Hardman are still totally flex worthy, but I'd rank them Robinson and Hardman. Gotcha. And I know, Peter, I know you mentioned the same thing kind of earlier about Mahomes and how he just, you know, is going to go wherever he wants to go with it. Do you agree with Adam? Just rank those three guys in that order? Mahomes don't care, man. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think Sammy Watkins is clearly at the top. Even last week, um, like he got 13 targets, um, Robinson and Hardman had six each. Like, I think the volume's still leaning Watkins very heavily. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to switch up every week. I mean, it's the same problem with the Patriots, right? Or um, anyone else. Good teams can kind of have their way, and they're going to take the path of least resistance. Um, And so sometimes it's going to be Robinson who catches those long touchdowns. But, um, yeah, I think it's uh, Watkins, Robinson, and, you know, Selma Colhardt because, you know, whatever yeah i'll say i'll say as a raider fan watching that game i don't know how many people noticed it but the chiefs literally didn't score in three quarters they scored every every bit of 28 points in one quarter it felt like it was in three minutes it was it was unbelievable right. how, how quick they did it so um i i mentioned it on twitter like this is a team that's never going to feel threatened by anything i'll get there's no game they're going to feel behind there's no game that they're going to feel like they can't win it like it's gonna be incredible just to watch how their season plays out um because it was just unbelievable watching Mahomes do what he does. It was crazy. Everyone knows to go get, like, Darwin Thompson and stuff now, right? Yeah, hopefully. Like Damian Williams. <laughs> like, I thought I was going to take a bath on Damian Williams because I, kind of I was kind of on the fence, but I was kind of leaning no, like um, it wasn't going to happen. And LaShawn McCoy seemed to add fuel to that fire. And, you know, every I get the sense everyone thinks that's what happens, but just to call myself out here, I was wrong. <laughs> like Damian Williams did split with LaShawn McCoy, and LaShawn McCoy is clearly still good enough, right? But Damian Williams was getting all the targets and all the red zone work. Like that guy was going to hit um, yeah. if he didn't get injured um, and make me look silly. So the fact that he's now injured, and I don't know for how long yet, I haven't heard an update on that yet. Um, like I did this instead of doing most of my research, so sorry about that. We appreciate um, it. This seemed like more fun. This seemed like more fun. Um, but like, if that that volume's gone now because it was about Damian Williams, that's a theory. But the Chiefs, like you just said, they're gonna be a good team. So they're either gonna spread it around that it disappears, or what we hoped about Darwin Thompson in the off season is true, and he can actually earn these opportunities as well. And so, like, LaShawn McCoy is probably going to be the beneficiary, but Darwin Thompson, really interesting right now. Yeah. I got Darwin literally in every spot I think I can, so hopefully that holds true. Um, right. <laughs> Josh, I don't even want to hear your answer because I'm sure you agree with us. I'm going to let you start off. <laughs> I'm going to let you start off the next one as the, number, as the first guy here. So, biggest, I want to say surprise running back. Obviously, this is definitely – um, you know, based on your perception going into the season, but biggest surprise out of these three running backs, rank them in, you know, biggest surprise to least surprise order, uh, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, and Derrick Henry. I, I am surprised that Austin Eckler has run away with the workload in, in the Chargers, so I, in, in L.A., so I would put him number one. I thought it was going to be 
an Eckler, Justin Jackson committee, and maybe even Justin Jackson was, you know, having weeks where he was out producing Eckler. So I, I'm, I'm surprised by that. And then Derrick Henry, I would, he'd probably be the second most surprising. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I did not, I wasn't sure that he was going to come out and get 78% of the opportunities, at, you know, with that team. And I'm glad that it's happening. It's fantastic. But I, I was not confident in that at all. Having as much Derrick Henry as I have did not make me feel great in the offseason. So that's been nice. <laughs> All right. And so Dalvin got, Cook is yeah. doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. I don't think, outside of like not getting hurt, I don't think anybody can say they're very surprised by that. Dalvin Cook surprisingly know, man, had a lot I of haters. I was having though. arguments with people telling them, you know, you should really not consider Kerry and Johnson in the same category as Dalvin Cook. And people got so high this offseason, uh, all the way up until draft. And um, that people honestly faded on Dalvin because they wanted to like, Karen Johnson a little more. more. Mm-hmm. So, like, it is honestly a surprise to some people. It shouldn't have been, you're right. But I think it's honestly a surprise to people that this really great running back is really great when healthy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, he did get a lot of hate coming out, too. Like, a lot of people didn't believe in him coming out of college either. So, I think some people are probably right. either surprised or just, you know, kind of eating shit at this point. But um, I have him in the same order that Josh does. Does anybody disagree with that order? Eckler, Henry, Cook? No, same order. I I got to say, I mean, Eckler is just blowing me away with his production and the volume that they're giving him. I mean, if that offense continues to be dinged up, too, and they have to have this concentrated target load going to Eckler and going to Keenan Allen, it's just it's going to be wheels up for Eckler. The thing that I don't get is I continue to hear people saying, like, oh, but what's going to happen when Melvin Gordon comes back? I don't think people realize Melvin Gordon's not coming back. <laughs> if Melvin Gordon tries to come back, I don't think L.A. is just going to be like, oh, yeah, come back. Go ahead. We're going to give you all the carries again. I just I don't see that happening whatsoever. I also don't think Melvin Gordon's coming back until at least week 10 because I think that's his required amount of time that he has to play to make him eligible for free agency. Um, but even if he does come back, I think that there's a strong possibility at this point that they don't use him. Um, maybe that's crazy to think, but that's where I'm at. I think right now, Eckler, especially if you get people who are just trying to sell high on him, I'm buying him. Yeah. If, if I can get him, I mean, as I'm, long I'm as he's him. on the field. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Melvin God might come back, but until then you've got like a top five running back. Sure. I'll do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, I'll win the next five weeks. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's the funny thing with, you know, the decision that Melvin Gordon made to not play is like, you took that gamble where you either show this team that they're going to miss you or they don't miss you. And that's exactly what's happening right now. So he's only lost leverage at this point. And with Eckler. Yeah, is a, good. Yeah. Running backs get hurt coming and going. Like Melvin Gordon's clearly a very, very, very good running back, but it can't show up because running back volume is so overused that they can't be efficient on it, which means really whoever they give their touches to, unless it's Peyton Barber, is going to do fine. Yeah. So, and I, and, uh, it's a rough it, go of running back. It for sure is. And then at Josh and Adam, you guys are in that, we're in that auction lead together. Remember I traded Amari Cooper for Mike Williams and Eckler? It's not working out too bad right now. I don't know how that'll play <laughs> out true. overall. I forgot but, about that trade. Not, and not for the reasons. Nice, nice humble right? brag, bud. Yeah, you know. <laughs> we were talking about victory laps. 
Victory lap. Can we baby. cut that and put that in your victory lap section? Or something? <laughs> I just wanted to spread them out. You know, I felt like you, Peter. I had too many, so I had to spread it out. It's creative. <laughs> right. <laughs> the last one uh, of guys I wanted to rank with you guys really quick is more of a qu- quarterback week three stream. Um, so we have uh, Gardner, who's everyone's man at this moment. He's uh, the man everyone wants to be. Uh, we have Mason Rudolph, and we have Ter- Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Peter, how do you rank these guys just for week three as a streams? Sorry, who was it again? Uh, Garden Minshew, uh, Mason Rudolph, and Teddy Bridgewater. Quarterback streams. I, I mean, uh, who cares? So I'm going to go <laughs> Minshew. I'm going to go. Us, those of us in Superflex leagues that lost Drew Brees care, all right? <laughs> well, exactly. well, I mean, just. Just write it out, man. You lost Drew Brees. You don't come back from that. Um, no, I would say uh, I'm going to put Minshew at one because I really, really want that to be the case. Um, and then Bridgewater because I was I was a big fan of him in the same way I'm a, I was a fan of Marcus Mariota. I just think, you know, not not as bad as you think. That's all I'm saying. Um, and so uh, those two and then whoever was next. Mason but, uh, Rudolph. Mr. No Falk, Mason Rudolph and them folk. You know, Mason Rudolph could be more interesting, but like, I want Minshew. I, I want him to be a thing, man. I hear you. That's just, we that, all do. The that'd be so does. much fun. Speaking <laughs> of wanting things to be a thing, can we make this a thing? Gardner Fu Manchu? Is that a thing? <laughs> it feels like it should be a thing. <laughs> you just made it one, Adam. Oh, thank God. Yeah. So for me, it's it's all Fu Manchu. I, I mean, I love it. You know, I mean. For me, having any air raid offense disciple come into the NFL and be able to be productive makes me excited. So I like watching him play, too. The things that he's doing with DJ Chark, just pushing the ball downfield. I mean, it's exciting to watch. I I, I like it. And I got to echo Peter. I I mean, I have him basically in the same order. I I don't see any reason to really start Mason Rudolph. I think the only advantage is if you're in a like a super flex league, and you're in a situation where it's real thin waiver wires and you need somebody who can start the rest of the year, you might go Rudolph just because you know he's locked in for the remainder of the year. But that's that's basically it in the whole Rudolph versus Bridgewater battle. Josh, show Rudolph some love, man. Tell these guys. Man, you know what? I He came from Oklahoma State, and I am an Oklahoma State fan, and I so I watched him play, and I was never real impressed with oh, him. Oh, man. And then, like, he... You know, he was, I think, a second round. In in the as thirsty as the NFL is for quarterbacks, being a second round pick, and then he wasn't even the backup for a year. I just, I have a hard time getting excited about Mason Rudolph. Like, are you guys, are you guys all telling me that they the Steelers regret trading Josh Dobbs right now? No, probably not. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't think any of them are Dak Prescott, man. I, I, but you know that's because the, Tom Brady and Dak Prescott are pretty much it. Um, so that's the only time it's happened. So, like, why not just take the guy who looks like Frederick Mercury when he gets off a plane and <laughs> like stands in the locker room doing his stretches, wearing sunglasses uh, and his jock strap? Like that's just, like just sounds more fun. Damn you guys! I'm gonna put Rudolph before Bridgewater just to spite all of you. He's got Juju. Give him something, <laughs> guys. Go put That's him there. fair. <laughs> Juju's going to Juju. Exactly. And Mason's going to help him Juju. So, damn it. Show him some love. There you go. Help show him some love. All right. Um, last week, 
uh, Peter, I've got to get you involved in this, man. Last week we did locks of the week, right? It's our, it was our first time experimenting with it. Um, we all took a guy who was uh, we didn't we didn't go the easy route, right? Like we weren't going for guys that were the obvious, you know, greatest players in the league. So like Josh took DK Metcalf, um, Adam took Sony Michelle, I took Darren Waller, and we were just trying to figure out. We didn't really have a you know a specific cut and dry system because you know we're clock dodgers we don't do things so specific like that i guess um <laughs> so we were just like we'll see who does the best out of those three guys it's kind of a perspective um you know stats you can kind of i guess you know bring them into play as much as you want but my guy waller didn't do anything to compete with their two picks so just from your perspective since you're the outside perspective if you had to say who had a better week last week metcalf or michelle who who would you say who who would you say won the lock battle here out of uh, Metcalf, Metcalf and Sony, and Sony Michelle, yeah. Who, which guy do you think had? Who, you know, Adam called Michelle and Josh called Metcalf. Which one do you think called the better lock of the week? All right, I see what you mean. Um, well, if you've got Sony Michelle on your team, then you probably had to start him. So it's kind of a weak source there. Oh, um, like dig it, Adam. Start your running back too. That's not what two. people were saying last week. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> But DK Metcalf, you drafted as bench guy, and if you'd started a bench guy this week, I'd say that's that's more Stone Cold Lock. Right? Oh, Adam. A- a- Adam's argument is that people weren't saying that about Sony Michelle last week. That no, I was hearing that's... a lot about Rex Burkhead. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Don't get me wrong, but like, people say a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, to be fair, I, I will I will submit and I will give this week to to Josh with DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf was able to score more PPR points. I feel like like Peter was saying, he was more of a fringe option than Sony Michelle was. I think most people who drafted Sony Michelle were put in a position where they probably would have had to start him. DK Metcalf wasn't that kind of guy. He was a guy who ultimately, if you had him on your team and you started him you were probably happy with his production and hats off to josh for making that recommendation yeah i really thought it was going to swing back um lock it the same way marcus brown faded a little bit like like i said after we won i was you know no longer concerned about dk metcalf partly just to make jake my co-host happy because he's all about dk metcalf but also because he did so well but like Lockett was still getting decent volume, and Lockett's a really good player, and it did kind of like he got more targets there for a little while, and he had a good game too. But like um, even in DFS, I was leading Lockett over Metcalf, so yeah, that was a pretty good call, I think. Nice, nice. Right. So, so it's only you know right, Josh. Why did you pick DK? You want to take a victory lap on this? Oh, I mean, it was pretty simple. The what Philip Dorsett just went off against the Steelers, and so I thought the DK Metcalf can do that. Gotcha. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> really Some wide receiver has to do that, right? <laughs> you know what? You can do that. <laughs> that is some hashtag shit process. Right yeah, that right. is high level analysis nope. right there. Nothing needs to be more complicated than it has to be. <laughs> exactly. So let's pick a new locks for the week, Peter. I would like for you to get involved if you'd like, but I know you may not want to, and that's fine. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I'll start it off. I'm just going to, I feel like I'm going into it this way. I'm not going to pick someone obvious, right? Cause that's no fun. And I kind of want to pick guys that people don't like, or that are like born as shit. So like, if I win, it's like super, like feels really good. Um, so I'm going to go with someone who I personally have been bored by. I didn't even really expect anything of him this year and he's done all right. He's done all right in this offense that we're all talking about here. And I'm going to go with Peyton Barber. Okay, if he was on my team, I would not feel great about starting him. You guys can say he's the number one there. You can say whatever you want, but I don't like Peyton Barber. I didn't feel great about Peyton Barber. I still don't feel great about Peyton Barber. 
but he's done decent the last two weeks, even though the offense, you guys say, from a wide receiver standpoint, and, and Jameis Winston hasn't done well. Um, I know a lot of people love Ronald Jones. So I'm going to take the guy who everyone, the ugly duckling, and Peyton Barber. <laughs> and if he blows out whoever you guys pick, a shame for all of you. Um, Peter, do you want to participate or are you not interested? Uh, I would, but I'm going to need a second. Okay, like, you take a second. Seriously. We'll let Adam go next. I'm sure Adam's I'm, got I'll something. Jump in. Okay, Josh, go ahead. I think I'm going to go ahead and take Jason Witten with the Cowboys Whoa. against the Miami Dolphins. Okay, you got me beat, <laughs> but that's a smart play. <laughs> Jason Witten, old man Witten. Yeah, he's playing the Dolphins. We don't need to say anything more about I was going to say, just start everyone against, like, the only way to get an edge in DFS this week in cash is going to be, like, a Dallas stack. Like, just, just team onslaught the whole damn thing. Just... Cowboys top to bottom. Put in the Cowboys defense. Why not? Yep. Um, and let's go. But and you see how we do it here, Peter? He could have said Cooper. He could have said Gallup. He could have said anybody. And he went. Gallup's injured. He, he went with the. Oh yeah, but, but he went with. But he went. He went with a fifty-year-old tight end. So it just right, about right. injured every day too. So, um, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad because uh, <laughs> the player that I had initially, now I'm like trying to back off of Peter's <laughs> calling me out for picking guys that uh, were yeah. more or less starters that people haven't been high on Good so shit, far. So out, Peter. Good I'm like wanting to dig deep. And then the second I start digging deep, I'm like, yeah, definitely got to target Dallas. And then Josh comes out and he needs. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Just keep rolling with the punches, you know. Kill time while you're still looking through players, and you're gonna you're, you're gonna find somebody last minute. Um, but really, really, uh, that that, that still wasn't enough time for me to stall and actually find somebody. So I'm gonna go back to the person that I originally started on, even if I might get some shit for it. Uh, he's a player I was on all off season. I feel like last week. Their uh, their rush offense just exploded, and that's that's the San Francisco rush offense. And in particular, my lock for next week is Matt Breida. I feel like Raheem Mostert got the touchdowns last week. Hooray, fantastic for him. Moving forward, though, in that offense, from what I saw, Matt Breida is the one that they trust the most with just having a workload. I don't think anyone there is going to get this ridiculous amount of volume. But Matt Breida seems to be the most productive, the most efficient. Um, coming into the year, I thought he was the most dynamic player in that backfield. And with them taking on Pittsburgh, with you know them coming in now with Mason Rudolph as a backup quarterback, I think that the game script's going to be right for San Francisco. You know, playing at home to be able to have positive game script towards the end of that game, and with Matt Breida in that situation, I think that he's somebody who is going to be a total lock next week. This guy's taking the cake here, Peter. Taking every, he just he just have lauded this guy with amazing stats and amazing things, and Josh picks a fifty year old tight end, and I pick the and I pick <laughs> the ugly duckling. So Peter, that's the fun of fantasy football, right? Yeah, there, man. Who, who, who do you got over there, Peter? No one. Um, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling. Um, How about Darwin Thompson? Um, <laughs> Darwin Thompson. Um, I want to say D.D. Westbrook just because I'm so against this DJ Chark movement. Ooh. And um, I called Hell him as yeah. a breakout. I was looking all right through week one, but then Chark, I thought it was just long-distance touchdowns. But he got targets again in week two, so that's kind of rough. Um, D.D.'s so, fun. Um, I'm still looking. Yeah. Nah, well, D.D.'s um, fun if you choose D.D. Tight end is usually pretty easy. 
Was it? DD's fun if you choose DD. I think it's a. It would be, but it's so like. I... To you, it's I, obvious. I, I kind of like but... that on volume. I don't know. I'd started with DFS, for example. Um, I was gonna say, is Sammy Watkins fringy after week one? After week two. <laughs> Did you really you know, give me crap for saying Sony Michelle? And now you're asking, you know, is Sammy Watkins fringy? All right then. Uh, so no one's buying into Robinson. I get it. You're all haters. I get it. Uh, he's going against the Ravens this week, guys. What, you don't think anyone's going to have a fear of starting him against the Baltimore Ravens defense? I think I it's hope that this podcast isn't for those people. <laughs> okay, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm backing up. I'm, uh, get me my backup sounder here. And uh, <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Ah, screw it. We'll just go Didi. Like, Didi, it's, like yeah. his volume's seriously worrying. Chark's, I, I do not understand it, but Chark's winning it. But I, I want it to be Didi, so let's say Didi. All right, so we got a mark down. Peter, Didi, Adam, Mabrita, Josh, Witten. Witten. <laughs> That's by far the best one. <laughs> and me, Peyton Barber. Yeah. Jeez, if if Witten wins, I'm done with this game after this week. I will no longer participate because uh, Josh is that'd be ridiculous. All right, so that's it for our locks of the week. Um, let, let's go ahead. We're gonna move on to our segment, foul or no foul, uh, before we close out the show here. Again, for those who are new, Peter, who's never played before, uh, foul or no foul. I'm gonna throw out some uh, some sec- some some statements here. Some are not even fancy or football related. Um, and if you agree with the statement, you just say there's no foul. If you do think there's something wrong with it, you don't agree with it, then there's a foul. Um, hopefully that's simple enough, but it still gets confusing for people. Um, all right. So the first one here is first statement here. And these are things I just make up, um, opportunities to stay in a space hotel would sell out in seconds. Foul or no foul. You can start Peter. A space hotel, a space hotel, (laughs) a hotel in space. If that was true, if there was one of those that the opportunity to get space to, to stay there would sell out in seconds. Uh, no foul. No foul. You I think would. people would be out there for it? They'd be down for I it. I would be. You would be. Damn. Yeah. You're a risky guy, man. You're a risky Cut me in guy. space, man. Let's go. <laughs> Adam, Josh, foul. No foul. Where are these tickets yeah. on sale? Sorry. I'm sure I couldn't afford it, but that would be awesome. <laughs> Dang, everyone's on board with this. I'm definitely not doing this. I'll let you guys yeah, go first. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll freaking. I'll head to Hawaii, guys. You guys have fun up there uh, doing what? Nothing in space? <laughs> You're just gonna hang out in the space station. I mean, it sounds You're cool. Own all the flights. Hey guys, I got a studio apartment. I mean, it looks very similar to the space station. <laughs> I will say what made me bring this up was there's actually companies that are working on this, and of course, there's no way to really predict this. But it said that the aim for them to get a hotel off the ground is by 2025, and to make it fully op- operational for travel by 2027. So, it's just, it's something that's in the pipe, coming down the pipe, guys. When you sit off the ground, I imagine this floating space station on the moon. <laughs> yeah, man. It's pretty dope. There's going to be something crazy out there. All right. Um, the next one. Not shaking the other team's hand after a loss is a coward's move. Foul or no foul, Peter? No foul. No foul. You don't think it's – you You agree it's a coward's Although, move? Maybe not cowardly. Maybe, you know, angrily An or emotionally. Uh, but, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't care if they do or they don't. <laughs> Adam, Josh, 
if you get blown out and like they they never let up, I could totally see wanting to just walk off the field. <laughs> so you say no. So you say foul. You could definitely justify it somewhere. Yeah, I I think it's their prerogative. Adam, can you justify it as well? Oh, no, I can't. I don't know. I'm I'm always that person who like comes back to the idea that like the handshake at the end of the game is to remind you that it's it is a game. That at, that at the end of the day it is a game. Yeah. There's a lot riding on it for everybody, but like at the end of it all, you're all getting paid to play a game. You're living your best life. Like celebrate that at the end of it. It's going to be hard as hell for Miami to shake hands after games this year, though. So, <laughs> so I mean, oof. think about it. If it's this hard in week two, imagine what it's going to be like in week 17 when you're feeling that, you know, 0-16 loss. Mm, I'm with you, Adam. I say do the damn handshake regardless. But speaking of the Dolphins, it brings me to my next statement, which is the Dolphins are doing this whole rebuild thing wrong. Foul or no foul. Josh, you can start this one. I, I don't think they're doing it wrong. I mean, they, I think they're just doing it more openly than what people have done it in the past. Sell so, sell off players that you have now, get picks, get that get that war chest built up, and rebuild, burn it to the ground and rebuild. I think what they're doing is fine. Foul for you. Okay. Peter, you think what they're doing is fine, or you don't like how they're doing it? Um, I'm fine with it. You're fine with it? Adam, fine with it? Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm not Honestly, fine with it. I think more teams need to start doing this so the NFL institutes a lottery, personally. But, I mean, can I ju- until they do, until they institute a lottery, you should be doing this. You, this is what smart franchises should be doing. Can I just point out that the Dolphins are doing what they should be doing in a very Dolphins way, like badly? <laughs> like, um, as, as tough as Tom... Kingsbury uh, from DLF pointed out, like they've got a lot of draft picks, but they need a lot. And the point of having a lot of draft picks is that you want more shots or more bites at the apple because it's so hard to hit on a player. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they got three first round picks. They're going to replace everyone on their team with three first round picks. They have three first round picks, so they have two extra chances to find one player. And they need everything, like everything the only way this turns out to be smart if they turn around and trade those picks again right for more picks in the future and yeah. so you're looking at now at like an eight-year rebuild and i don't think anyone's on that team is going to survive that long yeah. so it's probably gonna turn terrible and um, <laughs> because they're dolphining <laughs> they're yeah. just doing it badly like you don't you you can't get your whole team from one draft. So unless they're going to resell these picks and gain more draft capital, more draft capital. And Sashi Brown, the one guy who did this right, quickly turned this team around. That guy was fired. And this is looking like an even longer <laughs> rebuild with the way they're playing it. So, like, I don't know, man. And it's not that I'm against it. I'm fine with it. But I think the Dolphins are kind of screwing it up. Yeah. my my, I have a couple issues with it. Like, one... Like the owner and everybody coming out publicly, like, yeah, we we're not gonna compete at all this season. We're not even trying to compete. Like, I feel like if you feel that way, I feel like it shouldn't be a public display because I feel like the players then have to sacrifice their bodies every week. They have to pretend to care every week, and it's like now you put them in like this position where it's like, oh yeah, while the rest of the league is playing for something, you guys are just like over there sucking on purpose, and you're not even trying. So like, number one, from like a public standpoint, I hate it. Then number two. Trading guys like Minka Fitzpatrick and, and, and stuff like this, like, okay, he's a guy you just drafted in the first round. 
and now you're flipping him right away. It's not like his contract's coming up or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, you, you're going to replace him with what? Just another first-round pick? Like, that's what you're going to hope for? Like, to me, it's crazy. Like, he's a su- successful player. Um, and just to flip him in his first, second year of his contract for another first-round pick, just it just seems ridiculous to me. It doesn't make any sense. And I hate it. I hate everything they're doing. <laughs> So it's a fair point. Yeah, I don't I like can't it. Can't really he, argue. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I think. Like for me, like the Raiders. Okay, they traded Mac. No one liked that. Like it was stupid for the Raiders. No one agreed with it. But like Mac was also saying he wasn't going to come back, and he was up for a contract. Cooper, they traded Cooper. He was getting a new contract next year. He wasn't happy. They didn't like how it was going. Like their contracts were coming up, right? But like Minka is only in the second year of his contract. He's a rookie basically you know in the second year or whatever so like there's no incentive to trade this dude at this point just because he said he didn't he wasn't happy like who cares like he was going to keep playing regardless so you know like the Jalen Ramsey I get if he's not happy he gets a new contract next year you don't want to deal with it you want something for it like I get that like you know that's fine but like just to let these guys keep bailing and just trading away young talent to me it just doesn't make sense it's going backwards but I don't know you guys disagree that's fine I do want to throw one thing out, which I've thought of before. It'll never happen, but I really want to throw it out there, which is, God, how cool would it be to see the NFL or really any professional sports league switch from a standard draft to an auction? (laughs) It'd be be the best thing ever. That'd be kind of interesting. It's so fantasy trying to become reality, and I know it will never happen, but God, oh, I I would watch a whole day of that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, These next two I got from people on Twitter they sent to me. Um, the first one is from uh, Anthony Pinzone. He said uh, it was about players forcing themselves out for these trades, sort of. So um, he was, you know, uh, just, I guess, asking how we feel about it feels like at this point, the whole half the league is doing it. Um, every single player who's happy at this point is requesting a trade, which I don't, to me, I don't think it's ever happened, really. But um, A.B. kind of wrote the blueprint and everyone's following suit, it seems like. So um, not not even a foul or no foul, but how do we all feel about that? Does anyone think this is going to be like a trend that's going to get worse and worse or everyone doesn't care about it like how do we all feel about it oh yeah it's the carryover from the nba i think it's a part of the internet age as well you got all these young athletes now able to communicate with one another you're going to have this happening more and more and more and more where they're pushing for what they think is the best situation for themselves as individuals so i think that this is just the beginning we're going to see a lot of this we're going to see a lot more contractual holdouts like we have with bell and with gordon I think that unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for those of us who, you know, produce content around this, there's going to be more and more stuff in the offseason every year. For sure. Anyone not a fan of it? Like, is it turning anybody off from the sport itself or from the way it's played or anything? It, it doesn't bother me. I think yeah. they better they better come up with a good answer in the, C, the next CBA. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they probably will. Yeah, I agree. All right. And the it, last it, one. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's always real simple for me. I'm just going to, like, vote for people over faceless corporations that have billions of dollars. Like, I don't really give a fuck about them. Just, like, the players. <laughs> let's, just, let's just vote player and move on. For sure. For sure, <laughs> I agree. Um, and the last one here is from uh, Beryl Joffrey. Uh, at Beryl Joffrey. Also, Anthony is at the one and only PZ. Just shout out to him. Um, but this one is sent over from Twitter also. And he was he, first he sent me a picture of, like, alcoholic coffee. And I was like, what's the question? Like, what's going on here? And so then he said, it's a caffeine and alcohol mix, and it's for psychopaths. Foul or no foul? Do you guys think that's true? <laughs> no foul. That is for psychopaths. <laughs> Does anyone uh, feel it's not for psychopaths? <laughs> reminding me of those good old four loco college days, 
oh, it man. was a crazy thing. I was like, what is this picture about? What do you want me to do? And he's like, it's for psychopaths. Agree or not, man. And I was like, yeah, I agree. I when we go out to the lake, I pretty much drink coffee until it's time to start drinking alcohol. So I think that could help my transition. <laughs> <laughs> You might need to get you might need to get some of it. I'll send you the picture in case you're not sure what you it is. You know what, Josh? I'd prefer you drink that over your seltzer water alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. All right. So let's close out the show, guys. This has been a really fun episode. Um, we do close it out with a show and tell, which I didn't prepare you for either, Peter. But uh, you know, basically what we do here is we just throw something out. Like I said, it could be a product, a podcast, music, books, philosophies, an idea, advice, anything um, that you want to share with everybody before we go. Um, so, Josh, do you have one today? Man, I, I'm struggling for one today. You're struggling? Anybody no problem. Hey, jump in. hey, sometimes kids come to the class with nothing. It's okay, Josh. You're that kid today. <laughs> Adam, do you have anything? He's going to say no. Uh, yeah, for sure, man. Okay. So. Um, what I wanted to bring up is actually a book I just finished reading that I, I don't know, man. It was one of those books that you read and, uh, it was, it was given to me as a gift by my mom for my birthday and I don't read enough. Um, but you know, when a gift is given, I feel almost an obligation to read a book. Uh, it's a book called Lion and it's essentially the story of a young man who, um, when he was a child in India, uh, became separated from his family and never reunited with them. So from the age of, I believe he was five, if I remember correctly, he had to begin to become self-sufficient. And it's kind of a really crazy story of the ability to, you know, just rely on oneself, um, but also to look for the goodness of others for help and um it's kind of a crazy overall story of him you know going through his life obviously without having any connection to his family not knowing much of where he came from except for like a rough name of a village that he was near when he was a child um and just ultimately the the impact that that had on him as a person and then you know his journey to to try and find his birth parents it's very similar i think in a lot of ways to a lot of adoption stories but then you have this insane element of essentially a child being uh more or less abandoned uh to to no direct fault of his parents or, or no ill will from his parents if you will um and yeah, ultimately, it's a really great book. Again, it's called Lion. I highly recommend it. Definitely send this episode to your mom, Adam, so she knows that. Uh, big shout out for that book. <laughs> Did you only read it because your mom pressured you, or would you have read it otherwise? A hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> pressured, but like gave it as a gift. Yeah. No, I got gotcha. um, you. I, I, I'm gonna go more with just a, a story that people probably seen. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys seen it floating around Twitter and stuff, but I just want to kind of give a you know. A, Special nod to this dude, um, Tony Bennett, coach, basketball head coach. Um, he was given a, an extension on his contract, and he declined a raise on the contract. Um, he said that, you know, he has more than he'll ever need. He's blessed beyond what he deserves. Um, and he said that he asked, you know, the team or, the you know, the, the organization was paying him here to think about, you know, the rest of the staff and give them additional compensation you know, and improvements for the program rather than give him a raise. So I thought that was pretty cool because in a time where, 
you know, most decisions made are selfish or um, one-sided and people are just trying to get the most they can. As we said, you know, individual over organization. Um, you don't see many cases where someone says, hey, I'm good. Like, I don't need any more. Like, I'm good right here where I'm at. Like, just help other people now. So I thought it was a pretty cool story to share. And again, uh, it's Tony Bennett. Definitely check out the story if you are not familiar with it. I thought it was pretty cool. So I thought it was a positive note to land on. Um, Peter, you have anything in this brief moment that we've left you with even if it's just something your patreon page we'll recommend it two weeks in a row doesn't matter what no, it is. No, it's fine. <laughs> um i was thinking fantasy football stuff i was yeah. gonna like plug ayards.com just in case anyone doesn't know that you can go to ayards.com and download most of the stuff we've been talking about for free like target share and this stuff seems like so you know you have to be behind the scenes to get this data like ayards.com have just been put uh josh hanswine just puts it out for free you just click download and you can see it like from anywhere from all the way from 2019, 2009 to 2019. And that's really neat. But then you guys were like talking about inspirational books and stuff. Um, <laughs> and I actually haven't been doing much fun reading lately. It's mostly been like academic bullshit you wouldn't be interested in. Um, so I started to think uh, maybe I shouldn't. I, I tell you what, a film I just watched just randomly because I was looking for something to put on um, while I was working was uh, Come Hell or High Water. It's a really interesting film. I ended up watching it more than I was working because it was it was more engaging than I thought it was going to be. It was a story of two guys, uh, two brothers who end up robbing a whole bunch of banks, and the guy who's chasing them. So it sounded just like fun background noise, right? And um, but it was actually a fairly interesting um, subplot or sub story going on there about um, what's right and wrong and uh, what's going on right now with uh, drastic changes in culture, especially in places that. Uh, uh, have lower economic benefits to say it in an academic fashion, but it was really it was a really good movie. Um, I'm forgetting who they had in it. It was Jeff Bridges and um, God. There were two other really big actors in it as well, but it, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't a thinker, but it had that in there if you want, and it was entertaining. And uh, I'd recommend that. There you go. Yeah, I gotta check it out. And for anyone wondering, he is talking about the podcast when he said he was watching it instead of working. He's talking about this episode right now. No, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no but uh, no, I liked how you know I mentioned Bennett having enough and kind of paying it forward, and that's what you did, man. You paid it forward instead of shouting out something of your own. There, you were like, "Let me just pay it forward." So that was pretty cool of you. And Josh, I'm disappointed you had nothing this week. So as the teacher, I'm going to force you to come with two next week, sir. Um, <laughs> make up for your poor performance. Um, no, that's it, guys. This was a great episode. Um, again, Peter, tell them where they can find you, like on Twitter and all that good stuff. Hey, well, guys, I, I'm pr- pretty much uh, a mercenary whore. You'll find me everywhere. But if you want to actually find me, I'm pretty much on Twitter 24 hours a day. That's at PA Howdy because um, I live a very sad Twitter centric life. I, I'm there if you ever want to chat football or, you know, bug me about my DD Westbrook love. That would be fine. That works. That works. We appreciate it. I know Josh appreciates it. We all appreciate you being here. Adam appreciates it. You can find Adam at the other FF guy. You can find Josh at JC Crocker or probably somewhere stalking Peter's page. Uh, other than that, you can find. <laughs> I appreciate it, dude. I really do. It's not for nothing because I spend way too much time on it. <laughs> Uh, you can find me at Clock Dodgers everywhere. Um, again, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, share it with a friend, all that good stuff. We love you guys. Again, Peter, thank you for coming on. Everyone say bye to Peter. We appreciate you, Peter. Josh, I know you want to say Thanks, something. Thanks, Peter. We appreciate the time. <laughs> no problem, man. I had a really good time coming on. It's nice to get to talk to you finally. 
awesome but it's a blast absolutely well that's it peter as always to everyone listening be kind be great keep dodging <laughs>